Greetings, troubled listeners. Welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Coman, sitting on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, man. What's up? Oh, not too much. You know, it's a pretty good week. Pretty good week. You know, we had a lot of rain there, but uh, now it seems to have subsided and uh, yeah, it's a little cooler. Is it? It was fucking brutally hot today, if you ask well, me. Well, <laughs> cooler than it has been. It was only in the in the lower 90s today. Yeah. It wasn't... Uh, you know, but uh, yeah, um, it, it was all right. Uh, the rain, uh, I had had enough of it by Tuesday. Uh, but, you know, it. Uh, I, I thought it would be like, you know, that line and taxi driver. Thank God for the rain. It would help wa- clean the scum off the streets, but... <laughs> Didn't happen. Didn't yeah, happen. yeah, it's still there, still there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The scum and the, everything that is out there is still out there. In fact, you know, I don't know if you saw this, but uh, New Orleans reached a uh, hundred murders faster than first time, faster than any year since like nineteen ninety something. Really? They reached, yeah, they reached a hundred murders by July. What was it? Like twentieth or twenty fourth. Huh. And uh, you would think everyone's quarantining and stuff that the, uh, the the people wouldn't be out there killing, you know. But people are out there killing, you know. They're shooting, well, it, you know. They're is it people just, killing each other? Yeah, like, people killing each other, man. It's crazy. Uh, it's fucking crazy. In fact, I don't know if you saw this, but I mean, this is how it's getting, man. This is—I don't know if it's the heat or being like quarantine or just being fucking, you know out there somehow uh did you hear this that a, a guy a son murdered his father yes did you hear about this over I have the article right in front of me go on over, over the chinese food order yes, yes. <laughs> i yes. could not when i saw that little headline i was like what the fuck man you know you're gonna Kidding. argue i just couldn't figure out i mean you have the article in front of you but they, what i read wasn't much it was just they argued over the Chinese food order. Now, right. did, did the son say no MSG and the dad forgot? Well, or, or, <laughs> or did he say, you know, I didn't want the fucking thing, you know, that egg roll with that sauce. I wanted the other sauce. Right. What happened? You know, well, what there's happened? A, there's, a, there's a lot of layers to this article. Um, so it turns, it starts off an argument between a father and son over a Chinese food order escalated into a confrontation in Harvey on Friday night, left one man dead and another jailed on a murder count. Um, so the, the, yes. Uh, so the, first of all, the first thing I notice is the, the, uh, the son is, is Robert green, the fifth. And he, he killed Robert green, the fourth. Jesus, man. These guys are like, uh, like royalty or something, you know, this is proud of their name, man. Somebody forgot the egg foo young and (laughs) five, five generations of Roberts, the DNA just came out and just fucking raged all over the other guy to a, Chinese food conspiracy murder. I mean, yeah, it's a Chinese fire drill. Um, so, <laughs> so go ahead. So, 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 the, uh, said, uh, you know, the, the disagreement about the order, uh, led to a heated argument. Um, now I, I read a subsequent article where they had some more details about it. Turns out they were 
in the car together riding home from picking up the order. Oh, and okay. When the when when, the, <laughs> when they were in the car and they were they were arguing and the argument escalated and and then uh, you know they got home and the father said, "Okay, now we're going to fight." Wait, 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 wait. Was this the Irish part of New Orleans? I'm just checking. Uh, Was was this an Irish town? I'm just. No, no, no. no, It's on the West Bank. Okay. Across the river. Just checking. But so so had they they picked up the food, but they hadn't started to eat it yet? Right, right. Okay, so they're arguing about the order. And then the dad says, we're going to fight this out when they get yes. home. So they never <laughs> ate. They never ate. Basically, no, no, no. Ate. They died on an empty stomach, apparently. <laughs> oh, God. You know, I remember once getting in an argument uh, uh, with, uh, with a sibling of mine over uh, uh, the, the fortune and the fortune cookie. You know? oh, but, yeah. but I didn't, you know, I didn't want to fucking kill her. Yeah, right. Kill him. Yeah. <laughs> you thought you about it, but you didn't yeah. act. On. I said, you know, I said those 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 Powerball numbers look good. Can I have them? And said no. <laughs> yeah. said no. But you know, it's crazy. I mean, that's I, you know, when I saw that, I said, we got to talk about this, man. We have to talk about this. Yes, and in, in the in the subsequent article, they they revealed another detail which is that the the son emptied the gun before he stopped shooting he, he fired oh. every available bullet oh, 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 oh god <laughs> so yeah. and then he, he went was, and ate probably then he went and ate his food well yeah he'd worked up an appetite <laughs> oh, it was robert the fifth man i mean come right, on right now, i want to know if rob see that his dad was the fourth but is the third still alive because i heard you know yeah is the you third know, the grandfather still alive? I wonder. He, if he he's doesn't still come alive. up in the article. I don't know. You know, there's it, it, it's like that um, how Marvin Gaye got murdered by his dad. Yeah, remember that? Oh yes. yeah, tragic. You know, he, yeah, he just shot him. He was like, "I'm tired of you fucking fucking up with your drugs," and boom, we blew him away. Yeah, like I think that. that was some mental illness there, in, in the case of the father, who knows? Um, but the, but yeah. the, all all. Every, all the whole family defended the father, and they said, right. and they said, Gay was out of hand. Marvin was yeah. out of hand. So I mean, he was on crack and freebase and all that shit, you know, yeah. when that happened. But you know, it, it goes to show the, show you, you know, it really goes to show you either you love someone or you hate them. You know, that's the way I look at it. There's no in between. You either love them or you hate them. So I guess he didn't <laughs> like his dad. I guess he didn't yeah. like his dad too much. Yeah, from what I gathered, maybe the the father, uh, you know, had had been abusing, had had an abusive, uh, you know, any father that says, okay, now we're going to fight his son, you know, it's not a good relationship to begin with, you know. I think the son had just had enough times of where he was going to have to fight his dad, and he's like, I'm done fighting. Let's uh, let's just end this right now. Well, that sounds like a good defense. Yeah, I, I, I would, I would use it. I would use it. You know, um, well, I, I gotta say, uh, I, I think in general, people in their homes are are with all this together time. You know, we're not used to all this. You know, people in our our lives before March were used to a whole variety of different social contacts. Uh, you know, we have outlets and of different varying degrees of intimacy that we get to, you know, have different aspects of ourselves uh, expressed, you know, with all these different relationships. And now all that's gone. It's just the people in your house. Right. And, 
as and you're a gun owner. I am a gun owner. That's right. That's right. I am too. And and uh, but you know, I heard the president of Mexico uh, lied about this sweeping um, thing that's happening right now, where all these uh, there's a a mass killing of uh, Mexican men killing their wives who've been, um, you know, locked up, who've been, you know, quarantined because of COVID. So it's, it's definitely happening all over the place. I know crime has gone up in Austin, uh, car break, car where I'm at, I'm in Austin, Texas, but car break-ins have gone um, up, but I can only imagine, um, you know, New Orleans has a very unique um, – I'm surprised that more crime films aren't based in New Orleans because New Orleans has a very, you know, interesting and storied history of, of uh, not just – Yeah, of crime. Not just big crime, but, you know, small crimes and stuff right. that happens all the time. and <clears throat> Volatile personalities. It really does. I mean, I – you know, I spent a lot of time there as a kid, um, and uh, you know, it uh, it always had that underbelly. You know? Yes, yeah, you feel like it, shit could uh, break loose at any time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I've I've been here twenty years, and I've had enough for pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I had a, you know you know you're talking about people being you know quarantined and having to deal with each other and stuff like that, but. You would think that some things would just kind of remain the same, like going to your supermarket, you know, and getting your the essentials that you need. And and thank goodness for these people who are working the supermarkets, you know. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're uh, you know, they're they're out there working, and some of them are probably still making minimum wage or whatever, you know, the stock boys and all that. But what really pissed me off this past weekend is the supermarket I go to, and I'm sure it's the one you go to, the local chain here the big one, the statewide one, right? Um, you know, you think they want to keep the customers calm, customers come in and out, wear your mask, get your groceries, get your poultry, your meat, your fish, whatever you want. And, you know, get, make it a smooth transition. You go up and down the aisles, you follow the arrows and all that. So what does my market do? And they fucking do this every like 18 months. They change the layout of the market. They move like, <laughs> Like uh, the Hispanic, you know, foreign food section to one aisle when it used to be on this aisle. They right. move the fucking breads and all that all the way on the other side of the market. You know, it just pisses me off, man. Piss yes. me off big time. It's crazy. It's, it's, have you, it's have you noticed that? Did you I notice did. That? I, I I did see that. Yeah, they had they had uh, moved the the pretzels to to a different section. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, it's like have, we're trying to be separate here and stuff, and all of a sudden you're fucking making us wander around looking for where the fuck you put the pretzels. You know, it's, it's a good point that the, why would they do that during during this, uh, this, this yeah this whole thing pandemic. pandemic? You know, why would they do that? You know, and of course, you know, uh, you ask someone and they don't know. It's somebody upstairs says, "Oh, we gotta we gotta move the pretzels. The pretzels right. aren't selling." Renee, move yeah. the pretzels. Well, you wonder if there's some kind of management turnover, you know, because uh, let's face it, uh, these guys go up to their, you know, they fight their way to the middle. They fight their way to the middle, you know. Yes. Yes. And, and then, uh, 
you know, they get pissed because they can't go any higher. So they end up getting laid off. So they bring in some other guy and he's like, Oh my God, what am I going to do any different? There's nothing I can do. I'm going to get the same numbers, the same results. I know what I'll do. I'll put the fucking dairy on the other side of the, when people walk in and try to sell more dairy, you know, like, I mean, right. there's got, there's gotta be something to that. Um, um, if you well, think- I've been I've been in retail off and on in my life, and it, it all it's the guys at corporate who who have these things called uh, planograms. Okay, and they, ha- they they take a, a snapshot of a shelving unit, and they say, put the Lay's potato chips there next to these ch- ch- uh, the zaps there out on the you know, and you have to follow these planograms. So there's some Yahoo who has this job in the corporate office, who his only job is to basically plan the way shelves should look, you know, <laughs> look, you know. Okay. yeah. And, and they have no idea what that market looks like cause they've never been to that market, but you know, just something that pisses me off. Like every other fucking thing pisses me off. Right. You know? <laughs> well, like, well, here's something you know, else that might piss you off What's in, that? The, in, in the corporate world. I don't know if you saw that, uh, that, that the, you know, the, there's a, a vaccine supposedly coming down the pike and, uh, you know, it's, we don't have any results yet, but the, the government is, is already p- trying to pick winners and losers here. And uh, they're, they're planning for the eventual distribution and manufacture of, of this, uh, this vaccine. And I saw the president has come out a very, uh, very innovative move. He's going to give the, 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 uh, the contract to uh, Kodak. 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 Yes, yes. Uh, a company that company that I thought went out of business long ago. I think it must yeah. be its 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 stock price must be like two cents a share or something. Um, and I didn't hear you, this. you know, with the with the with the kind of innovative uh, uh, you know manufacturing and 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 uh, you know the the responsiveness of a company like Kodak, you can be sure that that uh, you know this is going to be produced with the utmost efficiency. And I thought, well, <laughs> Kodak uh, is. Can we get Studebaker involved, maybe, or, or like uh, or, or TWA Airlines or Pan Am, some All someone right. else who who you know couldn't couldn't make money uh, with a with a monopoly. Yeah, I don't know somebody who 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 got who became uh, completely obsolete, <laughs> right? In the right, uh, right. you know, yeah. well that yeah, well that does that surprise you that he would say that? In many no, ways? no, no, nothing <laughs> surprises me with that <laughs> guy anymore. You know, like, I'm going to bring back the nickel, the wooden nickel. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I'm bringing back you know whatever. The, the guy's just out of control, but uh, it's uh, you know whatever. He is who he is, and we've got yes. to you know, deal with him and stuff. But listen, uh, our guest has been talking nonstop, so let's introduce him now. <laughs> Absolutely. Before, before he shuts up. Yeah, yeah right, right, right. <laughs> Where it hits the wall. Right. Okay. Well, so, so our, 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 our guest, uh, I've, 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 I first met Spit him up, when. Renee. Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it's, sometimes I need to get a running start. Um, I first met him when we were evacuated to Austin after Katrina. Um, oh. and, and I've only been around him a, a, a few times, but he was extremely generous to me right, right off the bat. Uh, he's, a, he's a guitar player, songwriter, singer, um, producer. He's released a dozen solo records uh, over the last you know, 20 years. Um, he's an Americana artist, you know, country, blues, rockabilly. Um, 
He's, uh, he's also a, a filmmaker and author. He has, uh, he's been involved in a bunch of movies with Rob Zombie. He's produced a lot of, of music for, for uh, television and films, has lots of credits in that, and has actually uh, wrote, and, wrote and directed his own film. And we'll get into all that. Uh, but he has a brand new record uh, just came out uh, last week, Gulf Coast Sessions. Uh, he's the hard charger, also <laughs> the bow monster. Without further ado, Mr. Jesse Dayton. Welcome, Jesse. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you for that rousing introduction. Yes. Um, just to clarify, uh, a lot of these things that I do, I do out of necessity, my friends, because, uh, you know, it's a song and dance man's world out there. And I think Chevy, uh, or uh, Manny Chevrolet, our friend here, can attest to that. Oh yeah! Uh, oh yeah! You got to You got to. Uh, you got to do the old soft shoe to your feet hurt and sing "Mammy" to your throat bleed. Sometimes that's uh, <laughs> that's kind uh, of uh, the nature of it. Let's say, so Jesse, earlier you you're, you're you're from Austin, right? I'm from Beaumont, Texas. Beaumont, right? Beaumont, right? yeah, Beaumont, yeah. Texas. Where my, is that? Is, is that like near? It's right Austin? on Texas Louisiana border. It's right okay. down the street from uh, Port Arthur. Okay, and right, you know less than 20 minutes away from uh lake charles so then but then you said also that you spent a lot of time in new orleans as a kid is that because you moved here no 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 we used to hang out there a lot uh when my old man got a raise and kind of moved up um we used to get these little cheap tickets which weren't cheap back then but i think it was like you know 10 bucks a person round trip and we'd fly out of he put these little seersucker suits on me and my brother. Nice. And we would go, you know, we look like little, uh, we look like little lawyers or something. You right. Some bond mean? daddies. Yeah. 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 Um, and um, we would go fly into what is now Louis Armstrong. And uh, we would walk around the quarter with my old man while he drank uh, hurricanes and smoked Cuban cigars and have his two little boys with him. And, we would watch, uh, you know, Cajun strippers swing on huge swings out of big windows like we were in Paris out into the street. And uh, he would look at me and wink. And uh, and uh, it was very much like Times Square, which he also brought us to in the 70s. And it was, uh, you know, we would go uh, to Central Market and our Central Grocery and you know, have our, uh, our, uh, so when you said, when Mufflados and the, you know, olive yeah. oil, when you said he moved up in his position, cause he was with the cartel. Is that what you're saying? No, 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 <laughs> no. My old man was, uh, he worked for a, uh, well in the Korean, in the, in the, in the service, he protected mash units. So oh, okay. he learned all about hospitals and, and uh, so he ended up running hospitals oh. and uh, he, you know, he worked his way he was, you know, my parents were, they made it out of the oil field and um, you know, my mom became an academic at university of Texas and which brought me to Austin for the first time. And I saw a bunch of hippie chicks on the drag, um, you know, smoking weed and listening to uh you know, fog hat and UFO. And I was like, Oh, I want to move here. 
<laughs> um, and that was in the seventies, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they had hip huggers on and, and halter tops and, uh, oh, yeah. they were just cooler than the, uh, little redneck girls and Cajun girls in Beaumont, you know? Right. So, so, uh, so you settled, that, you settle in Austin and you go to school there or are you just, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I could have gone to school for sure because it was kind of mandatory in my family, but I was making money playing guitar right out of the gate. And when you say the gate, what age is the gate? Uh, right out of high school. You know, I, okay. I always tell every people when people say, Oh, you're lucky. I'm like, <laughs> I said, yeah, you know, we all jumped off the same diving board. Right, uh, right. You know what I mean? I mean, somebody's daddy might have been a little richer or somebody's daddy might have been a little more famous, but ultimately it's up to you to get yourself off the bench, whether you're worth a shit or not. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and I got my old hoopty and drove and rented a crappy apartment and started playing for, kept my overhead low and my, you know what I mean? Did my thing. Well, well now, Jesse... Before you moved to Austin, had you, had you already uh, met Huey Moe, the great producer Huey Moe, and and yeah, I'd already met that? I'd already met Huey P Moe. Um, I was still living in Beaumont, and I was driving over um, because I knew he was a big deal, and I knew that was the only thing that was close, and everything that was in Beaumont that is of of any historical musical thing had been, you know, it was deader than a Gatlin brothers record at that point, you know what okay. I mean? It was just done. Um, and Beaumont had kind of lost its, except for a few Zydeco festivals and stuff like that, that would pop up. It, you know, it wasn't the same thing that I grew up in. Like in the seventies, Beaumont was insane. I saw Barbara Lynn there all the time. I saw Edgar and winter, uh, Edgar and Johnny winter playing all the time. Mm. I saw um, uh, well, famously was, Janis Joplin is from Beaumont, right? Well, yeah, she went to she went to college uh, with my mom. Oh, okay. Um, and and um, but, but she got out it, of there as, as soon as she could too. Yeah, and I met Cliff. The Antone family, you know, was from um, you know they were from Port Arthur. Okay. Um, and so my brother who had moved to Austin already, I was a baby in the family had met Clifford Antone. Anyway, I, I started driving over to the studio, Sugar Hill studios in Houston and just bugging this old Cajun guy. Um, and if I, I was like, you got to produce me, man. He's like, man, I don't want to produce you, you know? And then finally he gave me a gig playing guitar. And I played four songs on a rock and session. Rock and Doopsy, yes. Yeah, yeah Rock yeah. and Doopsy. And um and he gave me fifty bucks and I felt like I had like committed a crime. I was like, Oh my god, I got fifty dollars, you know. Nice. To play this super simple rhythm guitar shit, you know. <laughs> so anyway, I was hooked and um I just started uh you know, that whole thing. Keep your expectations lower than your gratitude and you can you know, friends of mine would try to be musicians and they would have like car notes and shit. And I was like, how are you? The math yeah. just doesn't work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're, um, you're, setting, you're digging a hole for yourself right off the bat. There. Yeah. I mean, so I got a garage apartment here and, you know, 
little little pickup truck and uh, just started playing every chance I could, man. Played, you know, 10,000 hour Malcolm, uh, whatever that guy. Gladwell. Gladwell. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I have a good rock and doopsy story. I'll tell it very quickly here. Um, I was playing with Johnny Adams. Uh, we're, we're going out to do a, some, a, a date in, in, uh, in like uh, Phoenix or something. We got on an airplane in New Orleans. Johnny Adams has a head full of curlers in his hair with a, <laughs> uh, with a, a, a golf visor. Kind of in front of it, you know, and, and, a, and a white safari suit on, you know, it's like because Johnny wanted to have his process correct when he got to the gig. So we go there also on the, the, the gig is Rockin' Doopsy and like Anson Funderburg and Sam Myers. Anyway, we're before the gig, we get to the hotel, we're, we're eating at the restaurant next door and there's Doopsy and Johnny Adams, we're all sitting there and it's right after uh, uh, um, Bob Dylan's Oh Mercy had been recorded in, in New Orleans yeah. and Doopsy played on the record and we're asking him how, how that was and he's going oh yeah it was cool man you know and, and he goes yeah you know Bob Dylan people say he's pretty big man <laughs> I thought, wow! I love that the the Doopsy is so insular. Yeah, he has no idea, he's living no in the, idea who the fuck Bob Dylan is, and he doesn't really that. care. <laughs> I love that. That's yeah. Another accordion player did the same thing to me. Um, the great Flaco Jimenez played on my first yes. record, and he came nice. in and he said. Uh, you have to come get me, man. It's two six packs away from Willie's studio to my house in uh, San Antonio. <laughs> and on the way, we were like, so I said something. I said, hey, man, like, I just want to let you know, I'm like the biggest Rolling Stones fan. Like, that's my favorite rock and roll band, you know, post-50s rock and roll, post-Chuck right. Berry. Right. And, uh, and he goes, oh, yeah, man. You know, Keith called me up and... He said, hey, man, we want you to come play on. He goes, I hung up on him. I said, man, you're not Keith Richards, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said, he called me back a couple of days later, man. He said, hey, this is really, I was like, oh, yeah, man, satisfaction. I like you guys. I'll come play. You know, like he just, he didn't really, he knew, but he didn't really know, you know. Right, right, right. There was some real innocence there. It wasn't. Yes. I know it's hard for people to believe that that these accordion players, you know, wouldn't know Bob Dylan or Rolling Stone, but they actually are from the old school and live in such an insular world. They're way more worried about Santiago and Bo Jacques than they are the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan. Right, right. It's when we had we had uh, uh, regionalism, you know. Yes, had, colloquial uh, uh, radio, and I tell people that all the time that I am from the last generation of regional radio where we could have hits in our area that would not ever be played in Des Moines. Right. Right. Um, and that was pre corporate, you know, before the corporations basically ruined America. Yeah. Before we had television that everybody watched the same channels and, yes. and, you know, national programming where, you know, yeah. you had, uh, and, uh, the certainly the internet where, you know, even people's accents are disappearing because everybody listens Absolutely. to the same, the same kind of, uh, so, you know, Flacco, what, what stones album did he play on? He played on, um, steel wheels. Oh, okay. He played on a song. It's like a little Spanish type. 
I know, I know the song exactly. I yeah, it's um, yeah. it's uh, ah, I can't remember it. I can't remember I it right it's now. Like, something like I can hear you sigh or something like that. Uh, I don't know. It's yeah, it's it's something like that. Um, but it's it was it works perfect. Love lovers like us or. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, you know, you talk about these guys not knowing who these people are and stuff like that. Well, you know, to be honest, you know, when we started this podcast, I don't think I knew like we've done this show like 115 times. I don't think I've known like 80 of the people that we've had on the guests. I've never heard of them. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, how, that's how isolated I am in a way because I, I sweethearts together is the name of it. Yeah. Them. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, okay. Um, I because I've been distancing way before this whole virus happened. I always say that um, musicians are kind of prepared for this better than anyone because um, a um, we spent all those years alone in our room uh, practicing, so we're good at keeping away from people and getting like focused on some shit. And also, we're really awesome at living off top Raymond. You know, which right, right. Ramen, yeah. <laughs> which you know, uh, luckily I don't have to do, but I did it for a long time, man. Sure, you know, yeah, you know how you could go back. In, I could go back. I mean, sure, it would sure. suck, but oh, there's well, so, so many more flavors now, though, Jesse. Oh, that's yeah. true. That's true. I mean, you could <laughs> mix so them together. More. I discovered. Yeah, you know, there's so many your, more flavors. Your... You'd love it. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure. Um, but listen, you talked about Houston. Uh, and uh, this is something I, I saw just the other day, you know, with this whole COVID thing that's going on, um, that uh, I guess Houston, they love their strip clubs or whatever. That I they're having all this too. You yeah. tell us the, the drive through strip clubs? Only in Houston. That's what I thought too, only in Houston. Because don't they have also those, uh, in Houston, they have those robotic pro- prostitutes too? They have, they have those, and yeah. you know, just for the record, there's like three or four of the biggest strip clubs in New Orleans are actually owned by Houstonians. Oh, really? Yeah, like Rick's Cabaret, okay. and a couple of other ones. I mean, I, I'll I'll come totally clean. I haven't been to a strip club in a long time, but when I was younger in my twenties and I used to think I was Marlon Brando and I had a vintage motorcycle, I used to ride around and go to strip clubs and, and hang out. And when you could smoke cigarettes in them and, and, uh, talk to little hillbilly girls from Mahaya, Texas, that moved to the big town to, you know, quote unquote, put themselves through college. Yes. Um, Yes. But, Anyway, I saw, you know, I saw this story and I'm thinking to myself, well, apparently they drive through this area of the, I don't know, outside the club or whatever. And there's, there's caution tape separating the cars and the strippers. That's weird. And yeah. And and apparently uh, they don't call them lap dances anymore. They call them hood dances. They, they, they they dance on your hood of your car. And so uh, it's like a white snake video. Yeah, something there like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's Tawny Catan. Tawny Catan, yeah, yeah, yeah. The champagne room, <laughs> the champagne room is the trunk of your car. Okay. <laughs> well, sometimes those girls wind up in the trunk of your car anyway, you know, sooner or later. <laughs> you know, that just shows you how desperate the male, the human male is. 
the, the like that's <laughs> that's how completely de- de- desperate they are to just you know see some boobs get some attention be told they're cool for three and a half minute uh really bad hip hop mm-hmm. song you know what right. i mean it's close well, yeah, enough the, the, yeah, the yeah. thing is though it's like uh you could you could it's like it's like a jack off drive through you just jack off and drive through <laughs> <laughs> It's true. You got a little privacy there. You got some privacy. You can do that at the car wash, man. And just put your <laughs> car, just put your phone, <laughs> phone on Pornhub. You know, you, you save a lot of money. Okay, <laughs> troubled nation. Uh, you heard it here first. You know, uh, Jesse Dayton's innovating here. It's a it's a first for the for the podcast, but uh, it might not be the last. Um, well, well so I'm glad Jesse, you heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's very cool. That's because cool. I booked a flight to Houston yesterday. Oh, okay, nice. You <laughs> <laughs> have to rent a car. Um, well, so so Jesse, you you had uh, not only did you have Flacco on your first record, you also had Doug Som, and 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 you've been involved with with a lot of giants, uh, you know, since early on in your career. I saw you played on uh, like Waylon Jennings' record, uh, yeah. Ray Price, Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash. Yeah. When I yeah. when I first heard all this, I was like, this guy's got to be bullshitting me here <laughs> it turns out no it's all true and then yeah. one thing that that uh that caught my eye is glenn campbell yeah um, hardest you know, gig ever really well glenn campbell is i mean we love all the names i, I just i just mentioned but you know glenn campbell is 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 always you know right up there uh, is a, so, such a so tremendous the, glenn, the glenn campbell thing <clears throat> you know um so in five years ago, or maybe it was four years ago, um, John Doe from X called me and he goes, Hey man, Billy Zoom has cancer and he has to go into treatment. And um, we have a whole national tour booked. And we can you come in and play guitar? And I was like, yeah, I love X, you know, and I'd known John and, and so the first day I get there, you know, the only thing I was concerned about was I didn't want to aggravate Exine. I didn't want to play too loud or whatever, which turned out to be a non-issue. Okay. Um, but the manager for X kept telling me, well, you know, this stuff's really hard, man. It's really intense. And I just finally, after about three days, I was like, have you ever listened to Glenn Campbell? And he goes, well, yeah, I guess I have. I said, well, this guy named Jimmy Webb wrote all those songs. And all of those songs are in B flat. All of those songs are constantly escalating, changing keys. Um, it, it, it is every, every verse and bridge and chorus is a song within a song and there's passing jazz chords on everything. And it is the most sophisticated stuff. I said compositions. Yeah. yeah. I, I can play these Chuck Berry licks over this weird punk rock stuff. You know what I mean? Right. And I didn't, right. and it, you know, and Billy's one of my favorite punk rock guitar players. He's definitely one, probably the best you know, of any of those guys. But that Glenn Campbell gig was so hard that when I got the call for it, I actually called up Red Volkart, who's this brilliant Telecaster Mm -hmm. guitar player. And I said, Red, 
can you come over and help me write some charts? And he's like, yeah, sure, mister. And uh, so he came over, but that was the, I mean, just hardest was, gig, man, ever. Was that was that the last Glenn Campbell record? It was the last Glenn Campbell record, and we did. Uh, we started off doing a show at um, the Americana Nashville Festival in Nashville. And everybody was there and Glenn showed up and I said, Hey, Mr. Campbell. And he called me Glenn. He looked like a million bucks. He just found right. out that he had Alzheimer's, but he hadn't announced it yet. Okay. okay. Um, so none of us knew. Um, but he came in and I said, Hey, I've got two electric guitars, two acoustic guitars, Mr. Campbell, you're all set up. And he goes, well, son, do you know my material? And I said, yeah, I know it. I said, I've been just playing it non. So I just been cramming like, like an actor, like trying to, you know, internalize lines, you know what I mean? And, uh, right. And, uh, what year was this? This was 2012. Okay. okay. Cause I saw, I saw a thing with Glenn Campbell. I want to say about three, four years ago where he was touring with his kids. Yeah. Yeah. His daughter is a really good fiddle player. Right. Were you part of that or no? No, no, no. I only, yeah. only did a little short span okay. with him uh, when he when he did this record but for. He uh, was having he was having his problems then with this tour with his daughter and and I saw this show and they and he would like they just finished doing like a song and I guess it was it was getting really bad that he goes yeah they finished doing Rhinestone Cowboy or something like that. And he goes, oh, thank you very much. Our next song is Rhinestone Cowboy. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And his yeah. daughter, his daughter had to say, Dad, we just did that song. Because oh, yeah. oh, and he made he made you know he made it. He made joke. light of it. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it was uh, yeah, by far the most demanding gig. I had to play a lot of uh, weird jazz chords um, that, um, you know, there was not one single plain old cowboy chord. Right. I mean, the way he played it. And then Red goes, well, go back and watch his stuff on um, on YouTube when he was in Branson. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I learned those versions of it. So during the first show, he kept turning about and looking at me. And he goes, son, did you come see me in Branson? I go, <laughs> I go, no, YouTube. And he goes, oh, UT thought that was great. You know? Right. But well, all those country know- singers – Campbell and and Cash, they all had great TV shows. Absolutely, I, you know, that's where I discovered the country stuff. I didn't discover them on the radio. I just discovered those guys yeah. on the, from the TV shows and all the guests they had on yeah. their TV shows. I didn't discover them on the radio at all. Yeah, and if you look back, that's when um, you know that kind of country, uh, good old boy. You know, country has been. Um, hijacked um the same way that you know a lot of asshole yuppies have hijacked van morrison okay the way jesus has been hijacked yes you know what i mean like (laughs) jesus has been turned into like a white gun nut that wears camo and and (laughs) uh you know so but the country guys get hijacked like that too when in reality um, 
the first guest that Johnny Cash wanted on his show was Bob Dylan. And, right. he, and he had to fight everybody. And of course, when he did it, it made his show like twice as big as it would have been. And he, and he didn't do it for that. He did it because Bob Dylan was his friend. And, you know, um, I think show business people are of a, a kind of their own creed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Well, getting back to X, I, I, you know, I saw, I guess I saw you play at the house of blues in New Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. Were, we were both at that show. Yeah. We were both and at that fa- show. And what I kept a fantastic saying, fantastic job you did. Yeah. I was super sick that night. Oh yeah. Cause I kept <laughs> yeah. saying, I kept saying to my wife, who is this guitar player? And she was explaining to me that Billy was ill and stuff like that. And I said, well, he, he's, it's, he's not missing a step, man. Yeah, I had the yeah. flu that night, man. So, like, right at the last song, I just literally put my guitar down and went back to the hotel, which bummed me out because if there's any place you want to hang out, it's in right. New Orleans. It's, right. Um, but, yeah, thanks, man. It was, yeah, that, that was, was a great show. That was, it was a lot of fun and love that band and longtime fan. And, you know, I ended up working with John Doe and was on Letterman with him and, Nice. It was it, it was great. Yeah, that's yeah. Well, the the Billy Zoom chair is not an easy chair to fill in that band because he's it's the, he's the only guitar player. You got to play all the 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 you know rhythm leads and, and all, all that stuff, and the songs aren't just straight blues kind of stuff. You know, it's no, like, no, it's that's the whole thing is you got to remember and, everything because there's no there's yeah, no yeah. traditionalism. Right, right, and 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 I remember like I had tickets to it, and and Billy Zoom was supposed to be on that tour, and then I heard at the last minute that that no, he wasn't going to make the tour, and they had had Jesse Dayton. I'm going Jesse Dayton. Where do I know that name? I was like, oh my Jesse Dayton, <laughs> and then. Oh and and uh man i was totally knocked out once again you know i was like fuck man boy did you did you cover that gig man it's uh fantastic well john and exine wrote some great songs so yes yeah yeah we're you know we're big big x fans we were fortunate to they came back a few years later with billy uh with billy uh back in the band and it was was it their 45 what was it, 40 years or something like that? Yeah, yeah I think yeah. so. Yeah. So we're fortunate because, you know, I'm from Los Angeles and I saw those guys like in 79. Back in the day, yeah. Yeah. yeah I saw them at the Starwood, you know, the Roxy, uh, the Whiskey. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up with them. And, and there was a time, you know, I was a young, I was 17, 18. And there was a moment there where I got this real, like, uh, 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 affection for Xene. Yeah. I said, man. Yeah. yeah, I got it. I like her. I like yeah. her a lot. Sure. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, those are high school dreams and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, so, Renee, listen, we're at 45 minutes. You think we time for a refill? I, I, I absolutely do think it's time for a, a little break and get another cocktail. Yeah. So, Jesse, this time of the show, we take a break. Go get yourself a libation, and we'll be back in a minute. Troubled Nation, you do the same. We'll be right back. And we're back, back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coleman, back with our guest, Mr. Jesse Dayton. And uh, Manny, uh, why don't you tell Jesse about our, our uh, affiliation with our sponsor? Oh, yes. Jesse, you might be interested in this. I think you will be interested in it. It's called the Velo Bar. The Velo Bar is a CBD protein bar. Nice. It's, uh, 
It's 20, it tastes great. It's got 25 milligrams of CBD per bar, a perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. And of course, we're all dealing with a lot of shit right now. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a healthy protein bar that fills you up and calms you down. And who doesn't need the stress relief right now? The whole fucking goddamn world's freaking out. Absolutely. And, and you might like this also. It's plant-based protein from healthy superfood <laughs> ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, chia seeds. It's basically a stress relief bar, and you can eat it for breakfast. You can eat it after a workout or after doing some yard work in the heat. And I've had them. Mm -hmm. Renee's had them. They're fabulous. Oh, yeah. Sounds great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You got to check it out. A buddy, of, yeah. a, a buddy of mine who started this company <clears throat> was on the show about a month or so ago, and we talked all about it. It's a fucking great thing he's doing. It's called the Velo Bar. It comes in two great flavors, uh, dark chocolate and peanut butter. Great. And I'm in. They're, they're, and right now, <clears throat> right now, Jesse, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com, and make an order, you can get 15% off your order by using the promo code TROUBLEDMEN15. That's TROUBLEDMEN15, Jesse. And free shipping. And what do oh, we like? Nice. We love that, Renee, don't we? we? Fucking love the free shipping, man. Yeah, I was in yeah. as soon as I heard that. Yeah. So, you know, Nation, we've talked about this before. Go to VeloBarCBD.com. Order these bars. You're not going to regret it. Use the code TROUBLEDMEN15, get 15% off, free shipping. Check it out. You'll love it. Yes, yes. It's and great. as always, yes, it's a tremendous product. And as always, Trouble Nation, you know, if you want to support the, the Trouble Men podcast directly, you know, you can jump on the, the link in the show notes to our, uh, our PayPal account and, uh, you know, support the, the, uh, the, the uh, operating expenses, uh, which involve, you know, a lot of technical stuff as well as uh, cocktails. You know, we have a cocktail fund. And so, you know, you can, you can uh, buy, buy Manny a drink and buy yourself a drink. And, and along those lines, Manny, we, we have uh, uh, some support from MST Sports Incorporated uh, bought around for the, uh, the podcast. So uh, really? shout, give a shout out to MST Sports. Those, thank you, guys. Wow, MST. Uh, so who uh, who are they? I mean, what, we we don't know. MST Sports Incorporated. You know, they they know who they are. So uh, you know, it's just oh. pat, your, pat yourself on the back. Well, the Trouble Men Podcast. All pats on yeah. the back will be self administered. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, I, I hope because uh, yeah, that sounds great. Thank you, MST Sports. Yes, and who yes. doesn't need sports right now? We're all dying for some sports on the television. Yes, absolutely. Yes. You know. Well, so we, 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 we talked a lot about your music career, uh, Jesse, but you have a, a film career as well, which involves music to a certain degree, but uh, you've, you've done a lot of, as I was saying, you've done a lot of music for, uh, for film and television. Some of those films, are, you have an affiliation with Rob Zombie. Right. How, how did that all begin? <clears throat> that was a really weird thing. So uh, a lot of my friends... Um, who were in country music. Um, and I had, you know, I'd been in Nashville and, you know, I made that Waylon record and did played on some tracks with a bunch of, of the old school, um, country legend guys. And I love Nashville. Um, but I ended up in Los Angeles and, uh, I, started meeting a lot of music supervisors and I started realizing that, uh, Hey, I didn't have to get a number one, um, 
you know, 90s Garth Brooks hit to make money. I could uh, license my songs to TV and film and stuff like that. So I really hustled that like intentionally. Um, and I ended up getting a lot. I mean, a lot of stuff because just a lot of my friends just weren't paying attention to it. And I, you know, would go out and meet these music supervisors at some, you know, silly tequila bar in, you know, West Hollywood or wherever. And uh, they'd say, okay, we're going to put your show and uh, we're going to put your song in, um, you know, uh, True Blood or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. Justified or Sons of Anarchy or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And, but one thing that really weird, a good buddy of mine that I grew up with um, who was originally from Louisiana, his grandfather's from New Orleans, actually. His name's Lou Temple. And Lou Temple sure, played yeah, yeah. Axel mm -hmm. in The Walking Dead. Um, and Lou is in the top 3% character working actors in Hollywood. You've probably seen him before. He's been in everything. He's one of those guys that you go, I know that guy. Right, um, right. But he doesn't. But you don't know his name. You don't, don't know, know his name, name. but he works yeah. all the time. Right. And um, so Lou tells Rob Zombie about me and Lou and Rob Zombie calls me up and he goes, hey, man, we're making the ultimate white trash horror movie called The Devil's Rejects. And we think your music would be perfect which was kind of like nice. somebody peeing on your leg and shaking your hand at the same time. Cause you're thinking, <laughs> okay. Um, that's kind of left-handed compliment, but, okay. um, so, uh, I flew out to LA <clears throat> and, uh, wrote a bunch of, uh, ridiculous hillbilly horror songs. Um, and I went to the studio the next day, car picked me up, took me out there. I played them for Rob. And he loved it and said, hey, we want you to do this whole soundtrack for The Devil's Rejects. And um, <clears throat> I got an advance from Universal Records and through Lionsgate. And uh, Rob gave me the ever life-changing advice of go record this record in your front room and put all of that money away. Yeah. <clears throat> Which I did. So I put all the advance away. And then we sold the, the, the soundtrack to, you know, I, I, I quickly realized that Martin Scorsese might be the greatest American director, but he hasn't sold 17 million records like Rob Zombie has. Right. So we sold, so we sold a lot of the soundtrack to Rob's existing audience just because it said Devil's Rejects produced by Rob Zombie. Uh-huh. Um. <clears throat> what year was this? What year was this? That was 07 was the first Okay. One. And then 09, we went back and did Halloween and I did the soundtrack for that. And I was actually in Halloween. So, and I didn't realize like, I mean, I was a horror movie nut, but I didn't realize that the franchise was that. Um, it's the biggest franchise in horror movie history. And right. so, I mean, just literally, Four days ago, I was at Randall's getting a prescription, and some little goth chick walked up to me and said, "Are you Captain Clegg from the Rob Zombie movie?" I mean, <laughs> it's never going to end. 
Nice. <laughs> and uh, now is Rob is Rob just now a filmmaker? Now he doesn't do music. Oh anymore? no, no, he's bigger. His band is bigger than it was when they had hit songs on the radio. And I'm not just saying that because he's a great guy and has helped me. I'm actually serious. Like he is like one skosh under Ozzy Osbourne. He can go into any huge place and just sell it out. Does he still wow. have the same lineup? No, he has a different yeah. lineup. And yeah, his, his ex-bass player uh, lives here. What's her name, Renee? Yeah, that was uh, White Sean, Zombie. That Sean, was a real Sean line. Eso. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean, yeah. Sean, Sean yeah, 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 she's yeah. cool. Right, right. Yes, yes. And, uh, have her on the no, podcast he's got John up, Five as his guitar player. And actually, <clears throat> what was cool All about right. the Halloween movie was I had a band called Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures that was did the soundtrack, and we were in the movie in this big party scene. I mean, like three songs. Like it wasn't just a gl- fading glimpse shot. It's like mm-hmm. a real featured thing. And Rob calls me and he goes, hey, why don't you guys come on tour with us? and open up for us, everybody. And it was a great idea because oh, the whole audience had seen the movie. Right. So we went so out there dressed up yeah, like yeah. a band from the movie and just played the songs from the movie. And is you know, the most. Oh, I got to see, I got to see this movie. I got to see it. Yeah. I mean, it's, now, you know, is it, is it from that, that you, you wound up, uh, writing and, and directing your own film? Is that kind of, did, well, did what happened, follow the other? What happened was <clears throat> I realized I'm a pretty political guy. I grew up around, you know, political people having conversations. And I realized at that point that, <clears throat> that, the, that the conspiracy theories were really being ushered in to be more legit. You know, when I was a kid, all the conspiracy theories were pretty much from the left. Um, And then in kind of 2010, you know, 2009, all that, you started hearing more and more conspiracy theories from the right. And, you know, there was these big farm conspiracy theories. So I wrote this whole thing uh, called Zombex. It was like a, Roger Corman S B movie, pretty silly movie, you know. Um, but under the guise of like political big farm, um, kind of Katrina. Right. It's a it's a set in New Orleans. It's a post Katrina story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so I wrote the script and I gave it to some producers, and they called me. And said, hey, we can get Malcolm McDowell to do this film, but uh, we don't know who we're going to get to direct it. And then Malcolm tells him, why don't we just get the writer to direct it? Has he done anything? And I was like, yeah, here's some music videos that I did with Rob Zombie. And, you know, Rob, I went to like video directing school with Rob Zombie where we did like five Uh five Captain Clegg music videos that we tagged on to the DVD because Rob's nice. like he, no stone left unturned with that guy. Okay. And um, that was my only <clears throat> background. So 
we hired a bunch of really experienced crew people and we went and made this film. And in this film, we had Malcolm McDowell, um, Sid Hay, Corey Feldman. Corey Feldman. The singer, yes, that, that, the singer that, that was for a Slayer. Yeah, the singer for Slayer, um, Tom Araya, uh, okay. which was huge for us because all these metal guys, um, millions, like fans, those guys. We had Ron, right. John Doe, which is how I met John Doe. I didn't meet John Doe oh, okay. for music. I, I wrote oh. the part for Mike Ness from Social Distortion, but Mike – was on tour and everybody's like, you need to get John Doe because he's a real actor and he's, you know, so I called a friend and that's how I met John. And, oh, nice. um, and then I had kinky Friedman, um, oh. <laughs> uh, just all kinds of just bizarre people in it. And, uh, the move, we made the movie and the movie sold. We, we, nice. we got distribution for it. And then they wanted me to do it again. And I was like, fuck that i'm like running screaming back into the arms of my band just because it was, yeah yeah it was just no well, it was not any fun yeah well you know i was i was looking at uh, i was i was watching some some clips from it uh yesterday and i and i was seeing it's it's uh again the the ideas and post katrina new orleans everyone is uh all stressed out everybody suffers from ptsd yeah, yeah and uh and they develop a, a a drug they rush it through clinical trials yeah. to uh to, to calm everybody down it winds up having some some unfortunate side effects yeah yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. Um, which turns everybody into zombies if i'm not giving too much away uh, no that's away. that's the um, whole that's the whole trip and what's um, the name of um, it what's the name oh, z-o-m-b-e-x zombex Okay. Which is the name of the drug, right? Yeah, which is the name and, of the and, street name for the drug. And so I'm, I'm watching. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm so glad that our 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 uh, Jesse that our, our communal suffering could provide you <laughs> with, a, with a, a fertile premise for your movie. <laughs> I'm glad it, it uh, was to the good ultimately. <laughs> well, I was so outraged during that. I mean, like so many people were. I mean. You know, and it took seven days for the military to get in. And, you know, my family's from Beaumont. So they, we had like Cajun Navy guys from Beaumont who were like literally driving their bass boats to New Orleans to, right. to uh, save people. So I always feel like, you know, um, my friends in Lafayette always tell me like, you're the last area of people that will actually kind of partially claim you know most of the time they say orange texas where gate mouth and marsha balls from but they'll, um, let a, they'll let a few of us bow monsters in too you know? yeah <laughs> so what happens after the movie so you're, you're strictly a musician though the movie thing was just well uh, yeah i mean i'll go back and do and i still do stuff you know i mean i still like i just directed a video for myself that was in, in Rolling Stone just debuted it last week and it was a big deal for us. And, you know, because it got to a lot of people and, and, um, you know, I mean, is that I did lo-fi lover. Is yeah. Lo-fi lover. And very and, nice, um, man. You're playing all the, all the instruments in, on that song. It's uh you know, and I saw people were going, wow. Uh, didn't realize that, that you play drums and piano. You said, I started off on drums and piano. Yeah, I started off on drums and piano. I used to play in little country bands and Zydeco bands and stuff when I was a little kid uh, playing drums. But 
you know, it's real simple. It's not like, you know, um, super technical stuff. It's all groove, um, yeah. stuff, but, um, you so, know, so, so have you been doing what a lot of uh, musicians are doing and, and, and doing to try to make some money as a streaming, like doing a stream from your house or whatever? Well, I did two of them. Um, and the first one was a lot more successful than I thought it would be. So I waited a month and I did a second one and that was pretty successful, not as big as the first one. And then I felt, and then I waited two months. I felt like I needed to, um, do something cause the record was coming out, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about doing something completely different, uh, with more production and that kind of thing. But I mean, I think people are kind of starting to diminishing returns on these things. I mean, yes, you know, it looks like a bad Hollywood audition tape most of the time. You know, <laughs> it looks like yeah. if anyone's, you know, any of the listeners have any friends that are actors, they know that the yeah, you know, I noticed. I noticed that too because I mean, two months ago it seemed like everyone was doing them, and now like no one's doing them. Yeah, and and it's not you know, and hey, sometimes I'll just go on my Facebook and I'll just say, hey, here's a new song I wrote, and you know, a few hundred people will show up or what. I mean, the other, let me just say this too. Right now is a fascinating time to be online because the other day. I went on to Wynton Marsalis's Instagram and he was just sitting and there was less than 300 people viewing this. And he was just sitting there talking about hanging out at Dizzy Gillespie's house with Miles Davis. And they were talking about Coltrane and it just blew the top of my head off. And I just wanted to just tell the world like, Oh my, I mean, this is like, you know, for musicians, it's like the highest of the high level. And so there are some amazing things that are happening out there, um, you know, with, with some of these small little, um, you know, live streams. Outlets. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, yeah, in well something I did that a I live stream. I did a live stream. Oh. Uh, uh, just the other day, it's just me reading on the toilet. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Did you get a lot of response for that? I, I got a lot of what they call engagements. Okay. I don't, know, I don't know what that means, engagements, but I got like 200 engagements and like only a few comments. Oh, okay. Well, so now you're engaged again. Yeah, um, I guess so. Well, it's very well, Bukowski. Know, so, it is yeah. very Bukowski. Uh, well, you know, something I didn't mention in my exhaustive uh, introduction for you, Jesse, is that uh, one of the, the recent things that you've been, you've been doing for a little while, but it's, it's really coming to the fore now, is you're the host of the Badass Country radio show on GimmeCountry.com. That has been my big um, focus lately. I mean, I, you know, I put out this Gulf Coast record and... <clears throat> And, um, and this is kind of not a real record, usual record for me. It's just kind of a bridge specialty record to put out while this stuff's going on. And, mm -hmm. but so there's this station called Gimme Country, G-I-M-M-E Country. And it's an app and everyone listens on their phone and it's absolutely free. It's not 
You're not going to download it and they're going to try to hit you up for money in seven days. It's just free. So I go in, the guy calls, a friend of a friend knows the owner or one of the guys who started at Tyler and he calls me and he says, Hey, do you, do you want to do this? And I was like, sure, man, I'll try it. So I got in and my fans started listening to it. And, um, after about 30 shows, um, he said, Hey, do you want your own station? So nice. it'd be a 24 hour station. So you go to the gimme country app and then you just click on the square and there's the regular app. And then there's the Jesse Dayton station. We just launched it last weekend, but I've had, um, really great interviews. I've had Joe Ely, Raul Malo from the Mavericks, I've had young, younger people. Um, um, you had folk like, Uke on yesterday. We were, folk my son you. and I were listening to it and they were cracking. He was cracking up. He goes, who is that? <laughs> I had yeah. to explain to him, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. It's really turned out, you know, to be a good outlet for me. And, um, you know, luckily, um, a, a good portion of my fans, you know, you can't, people think when you have, um, you know, fans that they'll just do follow you anything, but they won't, they won't do that, you know? And, uh, but I think it's because of the music and plus I get to play whatever I want. So, you know, if I want to do three Waylon songs in a row and then play a song by the clash and then play, you know, some crazy, you know, Johnny Ace song from the fifties, and then play right. some new song by Charlie Crockett or whatever, I can play whatever I want. And it's not like people who have podcasts, like if you guys played music, you would have to pay for it. And it would be so I already got that kind of covered through the gimme country thing. So mm-hmm. it's um it's it's um yeah, it's 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 a really cool thing, man. Every Wednesday, four PM Central. 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern time. Um, my show airs on Gimme Country. And then if you want to just listen to all the back catalog that just plays 24 hours, seven days a week on the Jesse Dayton station. And you you picked the whole catalog? I curated seven. every one of the songs, man. Cool. And it's all, cool. it's, it's, I would say it's like 70%, 70% of the coolest country hillbilly um, honky tonk, seventies country, uh, any of that stuff. And then I'll play everything on, on outside of that. You know, I'll play some Dylan stuff or, you know, I'll play a Louis, Louis Jordan jump, jump blues song or whatever. So it's, you know, and I try to play stuff like live versions and imports and cause I'm a record nerd, you know, I, uh, okay, and, cool. and that's how I, you know, knew about Renee because um, I'd seen the iguanas and I loved the iguanas. Can I tell an iguana story? Please do. I never do. So, so I'm glad that you will. Go ahead. Okay, I got to tell this iguana story because I never tell this story. Okay. So I'm a kid. Um, I got this rockabilly band um, and we're like a little three piece band and we're all cute. We got little pompadours on. We're skinny little bastards <laughs> and the girls like us and we're half ass musicians right and uh and so we're opening up for jimmy buffett 
and we're opening up for Jimmy Buffett on Galveston Island in the summertime. And there's this band called the Iguanas that's playing in the middle slot. And we're the first band. And so we go on and we play our show and nobody really knows who we are, but we do good. We get like, you know, good little applause. No, nobody hate back then. As long as nobody boos, who cares? And you get back. Right. Right. And you know, you're looking at girls and you're, you don't even know how much you're getting paid. much, And, and, um, so then the iguanas go on and it's this very kind of, compared to us, it's like this really cool, like New Orleans world music, rhythm and blues, sophisticated, like horn section parts and just great. So they blow our minds and we're just, you know, we're like, oh my God, this band's like great. And, and, um, and so we meet, we go over and we say hi to all the guys in the band. All the guys in the band are super nice to us. And, and, um, and then Jimmy Buffett flies down in this goddamn helicopter. That's like amazing. <laughs> and he goes up on stage and he plugs in to this amp and he goes, I can't use this amp. My deal is, if I do an acoustic show, I have to have a Fender Twin. And so he goes, Jimmy Buffett looks over at me and goes, do you have a, a Fender Twin? I said, no, man, I got a little small amp. And one of the guys that worked for Pace Concerts. Oh, yeah. He was a scrappy road kid who was like, the gopher lowest man on the totem pole of the road crew of the roadies. He's got long hair, some scraggly shorts on some shitty, dirty tennis shoes. And he's just like, just a skinny scrappy kid. And he goes, I got a brand new fender twin at my house. (laughs) And so they give him the brand new pace concerts van or truck. And he gets in this truck and they go haul ass. And he takes off down the seawall in Galveston. He gets the amp, puts it in the back of the truck, goes down and he, bam, he runs right into this laundry truck and the amp (laughs) and the amp flies out of the thing onto the street. And he's like, (sighs) and then the cops show up and he tells us this whole story when he's back. And the, he puts the amp in the front seat of the car, which is where he should have put it the first time. And he uh-huh. tells the cop, and the cop goes, who calls this? And the, and the kid goes, I think I hit the guy's van, but here's the insurance. It's Pace Concerts. I've got 10,000 parrot heads down on the beach waiting to see Jimmy Buffett. And the cop goes, okay, let's go. And he gives him like, and this, I mean, the front end of this car, and it parts like the freaking Noah of the sea and all these stupid kids that are just drunk and sunburned. They all part in this, this mangled front end of this damn truck pulls up and they pull out 
and they put the amp on and they turn it on and they move a couple of tubes in the back and it works and the show starts. And that's my, that was the first time I ever saw the Renee's band. Saw the iguanas. The iguanas. And that was, I remember. And I played, and we played with Jimmy Buffett. And then he got in his helicopter and flew off to the next (laughs) island to go play another show. Oh, brother, man. Yeah, yeah that, that, that tour of the, the of South Texas, that was, uh, yeah, I remember we, we were, you know, going from hotel to hotel and it seemed like at every single hotel, the police would come and bang on our doors and start screaming about somebody smoking weed in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, Jimmy Buffett's, was, uh, Jimmy Buffett's another one who, like Jesus Christ and Van Morrison, have been hijacked. I always tell people, I'm like, look, man, I know you're into Gatemouth Brown or whatever you're into, but his early record, he's a he spent a hundred thousand hours learning how to write really good songs. So Yeah, yeah. Well I always say, you know, Jimmy is he's beloved by a whole like generation after generation of of uh young people because in every age group, there's always a guy who can pull out a, an acoustic guitar hanging around like on the beach or songs. something and play, well, can kind of play pretty good, you know, play a few songs, you know, and, yeah. and everybody remembers that guy from, from that golden age in, in their life. Well, Jimmy Buffett is the icon of that, of those people. So yeah. everybody who was one of those or everyone who remembers one of those guys yeah. can relate to Jimmy on that level. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, Renee, I think uh, we've got a podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's a, you, a lot of great stories, covered a lot yeah. of ground. Um, right on. Got a, a Jesse, thank you so much. You know, you're natural on the microphone, of course. And, and, <laughs> yeah. And, Dude, you know, I pleasure. I, I hope to meet you sometime. Yeah, man. Really? I can't wait for this to be over and you guys can take me to some joint and we can hang out and have a drink. Well, Renee, he's like a lot of our guests. He needs to do a part two, I think. Absolutely, and it'll be so fun when we can sit across a table, sit in the ring room. We'll bring you to the to our our very uh, exclusive uh, New Orleans social haunt, the ring room. It's not a, <laughs> yeah, it's not it. listed on in on anywhere, but uh, you know only only the uh, the troubled men podcast alumni uh, know about it. We'll, we'll we'd, be, we'd love yeah. to uh, to uh, to jump you in. Well, I love New <laughs> so, Orleans, man. Um, I usually go to this little place called Pals and drink. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah sure we know, pals. I live like three blocks away. Yeah, I love oh, yeah. that little, you know, I like little neighborhood places where there's no scene and, um, right. you know what I mean? Like, just feels good. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, a good yeah. place. Yep. It is a good place. Well, Renee, it's a time of the show where we like to say to the nation, uh, uh, what, do, what do we say? We like to say, uh, in the troubled nation, we say, uh, trouble never ends. But the struggle continues. Good night. Good night. I'm a firecracker, baby, about to blow your mind. Hey, I'm a walking, talking robot, programmed to make you feel fine. So come on, little girl, let's make hay while the sun is shining. Yes, I'm a speed freak, baby, racing down your track.
is the spin 